0: All right. I just got ordained last week and I'm wondering if I have any special powers. And I think the answer is no. I still get frustrated when things are frustrating. I still don't want to go outside when it's cold. But I guess I'll just have to resort to what I've always done, which is Open your Bibles to 2 Corinthians, chapter 5, and let's start with the text. Therefore, we're going to start at the end of the text, actually. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, behold, the new has come. Let's just make sure we get what it says. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, that is, if you are a Christian, a believer, if you have salvation from your sins, if you are in Christ, you are a new creation am I a new creation because many times like I I don't feel all that new like I feel something oftentimes I feel frustrated by the fact that I still get short-tempered I get Frustrated by the fact that sin seems so easy and faithfulness to Christ seems so hard. And as it says, if you're in Christ, we're a new creation. The old has passed away, the new has come. And It's always tough preaching on passages like this because I'm preaching to a group of people and maybe the cold weather has scared off some of our more nominal people. It's like, it's pretty of the hardcore here today. But some of you may need a wake up call and, and, and I'm never sure entirely how to balance like stern warnings with blessed comfort. So I'm just going to do what I always do and just tell you what the Bible says and hopefully let the Holy Spirit do its job. And, and warning can't be too far from Paul's mind here because he's going to give warning in just a couple of verses. Working together with him then, we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain, in vain, pointlessly receiving the grace of God in a way that does not benefit you. And so, how do we understand, like, what does it mean to be a new creation? Now, we we are in a little bit dangerous ground when when we're talking about this. Like, what does it mean to be a new creation? Because the history of the Christian church is littered with, I was like, littered with the, the corpses of people who made one discipleship model like, what does it mean to be a new creation? Well, if you go back to the medieval Catholic Church, or maybe the Catholic Church still today, the Roman Church, you know, what does it mean to be a new creation? It means to, well, to get baptized, to receive Mass, go to church, have like all of your ducks in a row, and then, yeah, you're a new creation. That's it. And um, maybe some other persuasion. What does it mean to be a new creation? It means to be a really nice person. You know, know, an upstanding person, you know, buttoned up very well. Like, what does it mean to be a new creation? Other things, it means to maybe speak in tongues. Well, that's a new creation, speaking in tongues. And we have to be careful that we don't define what a new creation is in a way that the Bible does not define it. Now. While we want to be careful about how we judge other people's experiences, especially how they look from the outside, the New Testament is absolutely clear that something massive happens when you come to faith. That faith is not just something that, okay, it's something that I'm going to do on Sundays. No, it's like faith is a revolutionary thing. Being in Christ is so revolutionary that it... Is like going to another country Colossians 1:13, he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us boy I feel like it's a domain of darkness when it's this time of year and like the Sun goes down at 4 o'clock in the afternoon he has tra- delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son coming being in Christ is like going to France except with more love and fewer rude servers but hopefully still good food the fact that something dramatic happens when we come to Christ is maybe a defining feature of of evangelicalism in the past 100 years because you know very often if you go, especially a place where it's more has a lot more cultural Christianity, you know, you won't just be asked by someone like, Hey, hey, are you a Christian? They will ask you, Are you a born again Christian? Because you know, there's something more than just being like oh yeah i'm a christian it's more than a check mark on a page. it is as Jesus said truly, truly I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God following Christ is such a radical thing that it's being born again spiritually, a supernatural work of God dramatically delivering us from Slavery to sin into freedom in Christ, from darkness to light, from the kingdom of Satan into the kingdom of God. Coming to Christ isn't just a decision that we make, but we get a new heart. It's a promise in Ezekiel 36, I'll put a new heart and a new spirit. I will take out the heart of stone and give them a heart of flesh. Coming to Christ is like a resurrection. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, God made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. I think I accidentally deleted God. It's an important part there. It might be he made us alive. Coming to faith is like the difference between being alive and being dead. It is like being adopted into a new family, adopted into the family of God, by which we cry like a baby's cry, "Abba, Father." And so, this new creation—this is not like some like saying, "Be like, oh, you know, new creation." This is a radical thing. What it means to be in Christ. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has. Now too often the Christian life has a kind of nominalism. The the Christian life is just something people call themselves. You might ask some, it's like what is the Christian life? Well, it's generally getting along. Saying check mark, I'm a Christian. You may at some time have been in summer camp and the speaker had said, would you like to become a Christian? Put up your hand and repeat the prayer after me. But you never go to church. And you are not a new creation. And if this is you, I'm not all that concerned. Because I said, you never go to church, so you're not here. You're probably not watching online. Although, if you are, welcome. Hi, please keep listening. But still, even among us, there are many who are pretty much the same as the person I mentioned just now. But for some reason, you're at church. Maybe your husband or your wife wants you to come. Maybe your parents made you. Maybe you're a crazy person who really likes religion, but doesn't care about God. I know it's weird, but there are whole religion, there are whole denominations of them. But you've been doing things, you know, maybe even volunteering, but you have no experience of God in your life. Maybe you know a lot about the Bible. Maybe you do a bunch of things. Maybe you have a pretty good life on the outside, but when no one is around, you just do what you feel like, and in many ways, your life would not be much different if you just dropped out of church or dropped Christianity altogether. Because you're religious, but you're not a new creation. Now I know there are, there are many people like this, and statistics bear it out. You, you get some things like uh, you get statistics like born-again Christians are as likely to divorce as non-Christians in the U.S., according to Barna's research. Now, either the statement of being born again is meaningless, or God isn't real, or many people who claim to be born again are not. Many people who think of themselves as believers taking some comfort that when they die, they will meet Jesus and they won't. It is interesting if you go into some of these studies before I like brag on them too much that um, if you don't actually just ask them like, hey, are you born again? But if you ask them like, how many times do you go to church? And it's like people who actually go to church three times a month, far less likely to divorce than people who just say that they're born again. So, But this just illustrates the problem. There are many people who think that they are Christians, but are not in Christ, are not a new creation. Now, oh, I was going to give a complaint about alliance theology. Do you want to hear my complaint? Oh, yeah, everyone's hearing my complaint. Okay, so I just got ordained, and I never got asked this question because uh, there's a question, and it said, what is the alliance about? Missions and the deeper life. And I really don't like the phrase, the deeper life. Now, by the deeper life, they make, like, a life that's, like, deeper in Christ. And and I don't like the language and I don't use it for the simple reason is that when I read the Bible, it's like, yeah, there is like deeper life, but it's not to imply that there's life in Christ and then deeper life in Christ. And that's what I think it maybe doesn't imply. It's that there's only deep life in Christ. Like the only life that there is, is the life that is all in, that says, take up your cross and follow me. Like there is no shallow end of Christianity. Either you dunk all the way in or not. Maybe a shot against sprinkling and baptism. Now, the warning here, and I already warned about it, is that people experience God's spirit differently. And so we don't wanna put one model of discipleship. But even so, the Christian life does not merely consist in doing the right things or saying the right things, but the Christian life is a new creation. And so today we're gonna to look at three elements. We're not gonna go through the whole text. Uh, just in summary, people are complaining about Paul and uh, he says that he's passionate in bringing the gospel to them and why he's passionate. And he says in, in the, the one verse I don't get to, it's really funny, it, uh, verse, chapter five, I don't have it on screen, but it's great. Verse 13, for if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. And I think the better translation would be like, if we're crazy, we're crazy for God. If we're thinking rightly, If we're sober minded, it's for your benefit. I think some people are, we're calling Paul crazy. And it's like, yeah, if we're crazy, we're crazy for God, you're right. But we're doing everything for you because, and he's going to see why is he, why is he so passionate about the gospel? Why does he do what he do? Why does he care about them? And this is why, why he has. So three things, three things. Three things that Paul has, and for us, what is the difference between a nominal faith and a faith that really saves? A faith that really saves is, one, we have a living faith in Jesus. Two, our lives are controlled by Christ's love. And three, we live for Jesus and not ourselves. So, Paul defends his ministry, and he works so hard to bring the gospel because the love of Christ compels him because of the fundamental truth of the gospel. So we have to start with the fundamental truth of the gospel. We have concluded this, that one has died for all. Simply, who's the one? Jesus. Jesus died for all. Therefore, all have died. That's weird. We're going to talk about that more and he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Now, I was complaining about people who like maybe said a prayer when they were eight years old, but lived like the world after that, and, and all that stuff still stands. But, but we do need to believe, and there is stuff to believe, there's content to faith, and that is Jesus died for you, So that by believing in him, you could have everlasting life. It is true. If we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. The gospel call is to confess Christ. But it's more than just saying words like a magic charm but it is something that we have faith in, that we experience it. We don't just say it. We experience it. And that's, 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 I think, where Paul is going with this, this very weird statement. We have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. Now, how does that follow? Because you would think, one has died for all, So then I don't have to die. Like, how does it follow? Therefore, all have died. Now, now just on its own, it's kind of a little bit baffling. But actually, if you have spent a little bit of time reading Paul, this flows exactly in how his thinking is. Because in Paul's theology, the way that we are saved is that we are joined to Jesus Christ by faith. So that when he died for all, he did not just die himself, but we are joined to that. This is union with Christ. And it's spoken of in a bunch of places. We'll go to one in Romans 6. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. So, it says, one died for all, therefore all have died. What it means is that we have died in so much as by faith we are joined to Christ Christ so that his death, his death counts for us because we are joined to him in it. And now this is important in what we just said because we're talking about just like believing this is one thing, but it's not just believing, it is experiencing it in such a way that this thing is with us deeply. How are we a new creation? We believe a truth, but it's not just some fact that we learn and then live differently. It's like we learn that bees sting us, so then we stay away from bees because they sting. But it's a truth that we are joined to him in such a way that that truth changes us from the inside out. The difference between a nominal faith that should give us no comfort and a faith that saves is that a nominal faith just says, oh, I believe in God. I believe in Jesus. But it's not a, not a true faith. is isn't just Jesus died for me. But I have died with Jesus. I have experienced him with me in such a way that his death counts for mine. It's a faith that lives in you, a living faith in Jesus. Number two, our lives are controlled by Christ's love. So Paul says, because of this, we've concluded this. So because of this truth, this is is true. For the love of Christ controls us. Or the love of Christ constrains us. Like the literal language is like the love of Christ like grabs hold of us and will not let us go. Like this is the love of Christ. It just grabs hold of us because we've concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. The love of Christ controls them because of the truth of the gospel that Jesus Christ gave up his life. That he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Imagine for a second, you can close your eyes if it helps you imagine things, but you can imagine that you're in an airplane, a pleasant airplane of medium size. And there are two people and the airplane is hurtling towards a mountainside and you're all going to die. Except, I know. Nice imagination. At least it's warm out. Um, And then as you go, you're looking for a parachute and then finally they're saying parachute and it has a note. This is the only parachute and it also note this parachute can only take one person. Two people try to take it, you'll both die for sure. Now you look at the parachute and then you look at the other guy. And the other guy says, you take it, hands you the parachute, you jump out of the plane and you live. And just as you jump out, he said, make my death worthwhile. as you flow down pleasantly. Now, now that kind of experience, like, like this person who literally said, you take it, your life is so valuable to me that I am willing to die, like, like that just like changes how, how you feel, like man, like I, I, I'm, gonna like, I, I'm gonna like live my life. Now, Now, this is like the same analogy, this is the love of Christ except Jesus wasn't trapped on the plane. He knew the plane was going to crash and got on anyways and handed you the parachute. Jesus chose to die for you. So how does the love of Christ constrain us, compel us, move us forward? It's because Jesus died for us. No greater love than this than he who lays down his life for his friends. Christ's love, displayed in dying for us, binds us in such a way that it changes our hearts. And so we no longer live. It's like you walk out, of, like you leave the parachute thing and you walk out of there. And it's like, it's not a duty to live for that person, but it's a delight. hey, they gave up their life for me. I always love this poem. Run, John, run, the law commands, but gives us neither feet nor hands. Far better news the gospel brings. It bids us fly and gives us wings. Now, the love of Christ, it, it constrains us by what he does. But it's also, it's, it's the love that, like, lives in us. And so we don't want to, like, miss, like, like, what that love does. Beloved, beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And this is the love, the love that constrains us. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Christ's love holds on to us so then we can love God and share God's love with others. How do we know we are a new creation? We know because of God's love holding on to us, which then transforms us and grows. Three, we live for Jesus, not ourselves. And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Now, what does it look like to be a new creation? It's like maybe ask, like, like, what does it look like to be a Christian? And, and we often, we think about, like, we have a picture of our minds of, like, what it looks like to be a Christian. Like, the kind of thing you do, the kind of Maybe the way you dress, the kind of people you hang around. And we need to get that so far from our minds because they said, so what does it look like? What does a new creation look like? It looks like following Christ. It's being a disciple of Christ. So why the New Testament takes so much time in telling the story of Jesus four different times? It's so we can see Jesus teaching his disciples because we're supposed to be one of those disciples because we are called as Christians not to just follow some set of rules, not to disparage rules in the Bible because they're teaching us like how to follow Christ and stuff. But it's not principally about that. It's principally about the fact that we as Christians are here to follow Christ, to have our lives transformed By him day by day, living out that new creation. And so when we go to the Word, we go to how can we live like Jesus? To live for him instead of just for ourselves. This is what Christ's love does He dies for us. That's the truth that we believe. It's the love that hands us the parachute, that changes our hearts to love, so that we live no longer for our own life, so that we can love and hand the parachute to the next guy, so we can live not for ourselves, but ultimately for Christ, to have him define how we live, what we do, what we live for. How do we know we are a new creation? We have a living faith in Jesus. Not just something that we say, but something we experience. Secondly, our lives are controlled by Christ's love. Three, we live for Jesus and not ourselves. Now, there's a reason why they call the Christian life a walk. Because man, like so many times, like I, I don't act. In love and I don't want to like put a burden on somebody that be like oh man like I really got to like love better today because the only burden isn't burdensome at all because the answer like when we don't live up to this or maybe we haven't experienced this we've just sort of like we've said something with Christian we haven't had it change us the answer is also this like the test is this but the answer is this is that what do we need to do? We need to look again at the truth of the gospel that one died for all, therefore all have died. We need to look at that truth again and again until it doesn't just sit up there, but we experience it and feel it down deep. Secondly, we need to see Christ's love. We need to experience it in such a way that it grabs hold of us and changes us. Again and again going to the gospel remember we celebrate communion last week and we remember this is christ's body broken for us this is christ's blood for us we remember the gospel we remember this is christ's love the principle that transforms us the parachute that we got to have and so finally we live not for any other person we live not to satisfy some list of rules but we live for christ jesus and not ourselves and as we do this and as we follow christ we needn't worry like am i a nominal christian all i have is christ and it's all i need let's pray lord god we thank you for your faithfulness And we pray that we would look again to Christ. That we would see, Lord, you died for us. Help us to feel it deep down in our souls. Help that love which saved our lives. Help that love to sink down so deeply that it transforms our lives. And we pray, Lord, that that power would help us to live not for any lesser thing, but for you who died for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.